hey man, you want to listen to this sweet podcast? Cool. Well, just uh, all you got to do is open up your ears and hang out with us for the next hour or two. But also, you can only listen to it in the Denny's parking lot. And you have to be covered in mayonnaise. And there's a horse there. And the horse can do whatever he wants to you while you listen to the podcast. But hey, we made this podcast just for you. Because we're America's most conditional podcast, the pod people. I'm Matisse Van Rossum, and I'm a... uh, I'm a fucking rabbit or something. I didn't think this far ahead. <laughs> uh, I'm the Duke of the Forbidden Holes, Ben Sheets. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, hi there. I'm Cleveland Mosier, and today I've just, I've been struggling with something, you know? I'm I'm pretty hungry, and I want seafood, but the seafood that I want is too expensive. You might call it a caviar. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> Well, and there goes half our listener base. This this week we're uh, excited to be joined by a returning guest. We are joined by Dread XP's own Jans Holstrom. Jans, welcome back. Oh, I'm Jans Holstrom, and I'm riding a horse in the Denny's parking lot. <laughs> Hell yeah, <laughs> yeah, man. That's what I like to fucking hear. And you're covered in mayonnaise too, aren't you? Oh hell yeah! Hell All yeah. right, head to toe. Well, uh, our listeners may remember Jans when he uh, joined us for our review of Grave Encounters several uh, months ago, which was a really fun episode. We're super excited to have Jans back. Uh, It's been too long, frankly. Uh, And this evening, we're going to be talking about uh, an interesting little uh, Irish horror film called Caveat, uh, which is written and directed by Damian McCarthy and stars Ben Kaplan, Jonathan French, and Layla Sykes. It was officially released last year on the festival circuit, but it uh, got added to Shudder as a Shudder exclusive and I want to say, June of this year. And uh, this was technically Cleveland's pick, but I know Cleveland picked it because of you, Jans, because you suggested this and you wanted to come on to the show specifically to talk about this movie. So I'm going to put you on the spot and I'm going to let you introduce us to Caveat and talk a little bit about uh, why you wanted to come back on the show uh, to talk about this movie. Okay, so the uh, the issue that I had for months now, since the last time we, we spoke, we yep. talked about Grave Encounters. And I've spent a lot of this time since then, every day almost. It's uh, <laughs> true. Cleveland, we need to do Grave Encounters 2. It's time for Grave Encounters 2. It's the better sequel. And he's like, oh, yeah, I don't have a pick coming up for a while. And then I was like, oh, I just saw this movie called Caveat, and it's a very interesting Irish mystery movie. And he's like, oh, that sounds interesting. My pick is coming up. All of a sudden, whenever Grave Encounters 2 wasn't on the table, Cleveland's pick was just right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but hey, let's let's be extra clear. It's important to note that, like, you saw Caveat around the time it came out, right? Yeah, yes. Yeah, and uh, when when was that? Five, six months ago? It would have been June. Yeah, so <laughs> um, this entire time, minimum once a week, like, Jans and I have talked about, like, doing Caveat on the podcast. Um, it's just that there have been so many new movies um, that I haven't had a chance to have another pick to yeah, bring Jans back we've... on for it. So, Jans, it's also, it's been this long, and I'm giving you my pick, bud. So, like... <laughs> it's been it's been an insanely long time since, uh, since we've, like, done not a new movie because we just had so fucking many back to back to back, mm-hmm. and so, I wouldn't have uh, it any other way. I've, I've been I've been wanting to, no, been itching a, to do this. as well. there's a, a lot of good yeah, stuff. Fruitful oh, yeah. year, and uh, we'll. It's been hilarious. 
don't worry about grave encounters too, Jans. We'll 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 talk later. Oh um, yeah, yeah. We'll, uh, we'll talk note on that for the end of the episode. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll talk about that off off the pod. Oh, um, okay. That, that that's a secret. Yeah, that, that hasn't been announced yet. But, yes. Um, well, stay tuned to future episodes to find out why. So we'll we'll talk about that later. But yeah, uh, what what drew you to caveat, Jans? This was a, a weird fucking movie. I watched the first trailer, um, the one that was really heavy on the little drummy rabbit. And I was like, oh, that looks really just kind of low-key. I like uh, I like a subtle horror myself. Um, something kind of... I'm trying to think of some of my favorite. Like, uh, have you guys seen Hell House LLC? Hell House LLC? No. I have not, no. I've never even heard of that. Oh, wow. It's really low-key, like, stuff happening in the background. Subtle horror. And I watched the trailer for Caveat, and it didn't show me a lot. And I was like, I'm not even, I don't want to find out anything else about this movie. I'm just going to go watch it. And uh, at first, and what a lot of people say whenever I mention Caveat, who have seen anything about it, they go, oh, the Irish Saw movie. It could not be any farther from a Saw movie. Saw? Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's weird, because, like, Cleveland closed out our last episode by being, like, there's there, people make comparisons to this movie by, like, saying it's the, it's the, uh, a nationality, and then comparing it to another movie, and Saw is not what I would have fucking guessed. Like, no. watching this movie is, not like, it is so unsaw-like. For me, the, what I couldn't stop thinking about is the fucking Babadook. I kept thinking, like, this is the, fu- this is the Irish Babadook, because it's, uh, I mean, it's mostly just in like the production design like it's it's yeah. like it's like a very meticulously built set like it's very obviously a set it's like just sort of surreal enough to like not feel like a normal house and you know like it's lit like a set too it's, uh, it's like children's storybook grime in the same kind of way that the babadook yeah I, I can I, like, texturally so yeah, like visually. when we when we like started watching this movie like i went in i think we all went in like completely blind i had never heard of this movie didn't see any trailers did not know what it was about at all and like that first scene where she's like walking around with like the little rabbit that's like drumming i was like this is just is is it the Babadook? Is it yeah. the- <laughs> I love the design of that rabbit too. It's like Robert Morgan created the Energizer Bunny. Apparently, it has like weird, gross glass eyes. And- apparently, they just found it on eBay and then shaved all the hair off of it. <laughs> No shit. Yeah. That's awesome. And to be clear, too, like, I didn't just hear, like, Irish Jigsaw from from Jans, either. Like, I've seen it in, in article titles and, like, other, like, offhand descriptions it doesn't, online. It doesn't make any sense. It's not like Saw at all. I know. I know. I think I know exactly why people is it do be, it, though. Is it because the character, the main character spends a lot of the movie in, like, a harness? Like, yeah. chained up? Is uh, that why? I'll tell you exactly why. I can summarize it up. That's, that's half of it. People are, um chained up in basements and they have to make choices and that's literally it and it's dumb and i agree uh but i will i I do want to note before we move on uh i thought it was funny because i had seen a little bit of stuff on it not very much i don't think i saw any trailers but like there there are some other things it is popping up in my periphery but you guys uh and ben you hadn't seen anything for it you just you just heard about it from me and so i i kept y'all in the dark 
Um, uh, and I, and again, all I said was like, people have been comparing it to this, but it's not really like that. Yeah. And, and again, too, I didn't even mention Irish jigs. I just said nationality and, and mm. genre. Okay. I did successfully guess Irish before a single line of in dialogue like, was in like the first two minutes. You looked at the set and you were like, Irish? <laughs> Which, I said, I said Irish, really I said Irish either. Babadook. Yeah. The only thing that honestly, it was, it was more of a lucky guess than anything else because like when we did pull it up on Shudder, like Shudder tells you like the language that the film is in. Um. And I saw English. And because you had primed us for that, like it wasn't an American movie, I was like, well, there's a relatively short list of like primarily English speaking countries that this could be from. Where's it most likely to have a a dingy cabin? Oh, Ireland. Ireland. Okay, boom. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Got it. Got it in one. That was really the problem whenever they were trying to find where to shoot it because everyone has the dingiest cabin in Ireland. Yeah, who's they, they? They had to hold a contest. Whose whose house was the most rundown? Who has the dingiest shack in all of Ireland? Mm-hmm. You've got the worst toilet in Scotland, and you've got the dingiest cabin in Ireland. Yeah. Um. So the the basic premise of this movie, because it's a very simple premise, we have this guy who uh, seems to have some uh, amnesia going on. You know, your typical, uh, like, video game setup uh, amnesia protagonist. His friend comes to him and is like, hey, my niece is, like, staying in this house. Like, I I don't want to, like, look after her. I'll pay you, like, 200 pounds a day to, like, watch her for a few days. And then... After he agrees, like, the caveats start piling on in a big way. It's like, oh, surprise, the house is on an island. Oh, surprise, the girl is, like, mentally ill because her dad killed uh, <laughs> killed himself and her mother is missing. Oh, surprise, you have to, the only way you can stay in the house is if you put on this harness that has a chain that goes down to the basement so you can only go to certain parts of the house. It's just like it all keeps piling piling up um and then there's kind of like a a, a little mystery that unravels throughout the course of the movie not at all what i was expecting Mm -hmm. no and i think it works best when it does leave you guessing and questioning things a little bit i think this movie works super well in sort of an ambient atmospheric sort of weirdness yeah, I I would I would agree. I think like my my general feelings about the movie are like as as an atmosphere piece, I think it's fucking killer. Uh, I, I think its atmosphere is really, really great, like, very spooky. There are some, like, extremely unsettling, like, tense, creepy moments. I, I don't love the story. That's about where I'm at. As an exercise in, like, atmosphere and dread, I think this movie was is fantastic. I, I think there might have been one or two narrative points that I missed. I'm usually one to be, you know, pretty happy or proud of, like, staying ahead of a film um, and even predicting where it goes. Uh, we talk about that a lot on the podcast. But this one, um, I, I think maybe it was just, like, the way that the exposition was delivered or um, maybe just the how little I'd had to eat that day or something like that. Um, uh, or just the Irish accents, which normally, again, I'm, I'm pretty 
I feel like I'm pretty good at tracking. Uh, I, I think I missed a detail or two. Um, well, see, I, I felt the same way. And then later I went back and I read a synopsis of the movie, uh, like a plot breakdown, like to see what I had missed. And I hadn't missed anything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, All right, curious to see if it's the same. I think for I think me, it. like the, the issues with the, the story itself is kind of, it gets a little exposition dumpy in the second half mm-hmm. with a lot of flashbacks and explanations where I feel like the film works at its best when there are a lot of unknowns and it is really confusing and unnerving and weird. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very Lynchian in that aspect. It ends up in places where it doesn't feel as Lynchian because it feels very much like they try to explain things. Yeah, there, there's one sequence towards the end of the film in particular. We can touch on it a little later. Um, but I think beyond that, I do think it's worth saying that the less you know about this film, the better going in, right? Like Probably. It's, it's largely built around like not knowing what comes next. It's, a, it's definitely hinged on mystery because like mm. you go into the film with a lot of unknowns and... I think that that's really the film's strength. I, I feel like I, in a sort of contradictory way, like, I feel like I started to care about this movie less the more that was revealed to me. Like, the the setup was like, holy shit, this is fucking weird and unsettling and fucking sort of surreal. And then as, like, the pieces were put together, I was like, oh, Okay. Interesting. Well, yeah, there, there I, was I totally one agree. moment where I felt that way. For the most part, I liked the subject matter of the reveals, except for one thing. The pacing was really odd, but I I, I liked that about it. And like when the exhibition was given, like I can I can definitely see like how you'd perceive it as clunky. And there's one part I, I would agree with, but for the most part, I liked that. Uh, all of those aspects about it, and I'm kind of jury still out. I wanted to kind of discuss it a little bit more and formulate my ideas collectively before we slap a rating on at the end, of course. But Beyond that, I, I want to say that, like, we'll, we'll describe them in spoilers, but, like, there are some moments that genuinely terrified me, too. Yeah, there's some very, very um, creepy moments. I would, I, would, I, would, yeah. I would definitely recommend it. And beyond that, say, like, because of, like, the spaghetti structure of this film, it's going to be, we're going to probably have to jump around and, and give away stuff early on. Um, so I would, I would I just so. spoiler warn from here on out so we can just talk about this film. Man, know? I feel like at this point there's just, like, an implicit spoiler warning on this podcast. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> True, but you know, sometimes um, it's good. We can give people a recommendation and then let them know they can they can come back. But but before we before we get into spoilers, like the three of us have had sort of our opportunity to to talk about like our feelings about the film at large. Jans, would you would you like to to weigh in and uh, and give sort of your your broad thoughts about the film in general? Yeah, sure. Uh, I was I was just over here thinking about Grave Encounters too. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> patience, patience. Oh yes. Yeah. Whenever you mentioned Lynchian. Uh, Cleveland, I know, could feel me backing away from the microphone. Yes, from where he's at. Right now. <laughs> are you not a Are you not a Lynch guy? I, I have a strong hate for David Lynch. Uh, Whoa! <laughs> Whoa! All right. Well, we we we've had a lot of conversations about it. I'm excited to talk about it on the show too. We we won't litigate that on this podcast because that'll just be a, a like two hour long argument. Mm. But uh, no, I can noted like noted. Our, our different opinions on it though. I think in a cool way. I, I'll, I'll let you continue, Jans. But it, it does have that kind of that dreamy feel in the beginning. Anyway, I think the the coolest thing the movie does is changes how you think about the movie about halfway without getting into super spoiler ter- territory i have a, a a working theory that i'll bring up later 
but as it stands, it is an excellent mood piece. The atmosphere, the tension is wire tight. It's fantastic. The way the movie looks is just beautiful. The dingy cabin, the low lighting, uh, some of the shots, like the uh, the hand in the air vent shot. That's a fun shot where he's trying to get a hold of the phone. Oh yeah, that's oh, a great yeah, sequence. Yeah. There's a lot of really good sequences like that in this movie. Yeah. Lots of holes. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah. I feel like there's a little bit of tonal whiplash. Because people, some people go in, you guys were lucky enough to go in blind, but a lot of people saw the headline and they're like, oh, Irish saw, cool. And then they're hit with this dreamy, Lynchian, kind of all over the place story. And then halfway through, the movie goes, actually, it's not any of that. Let me continue this way. And I I think it messed with some people. And I won't name names, of course, because I'm a nice person. But there was a writer from Dread Central who I talked with. I suggested the film to him. And he came back at me angry, saying that it made absolutely zero sense whatsoever. Lol, wait, wait, wait. That, <laughs> so it's really funny to me because you guys are like, there was way too much explained. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I think there's there's some things that, like, there were a couple things I felt like I missed that are just are not explained. Like, I, I'm willing to, you know, uh, give that stuff a pass in favor of ambiguity. Like, that's that's, true, I know that's, that's, that's like, fine. I felt like I was missing a piece. That's fine, but, like, I do feel like, we, especially in the second half of the movie like once we get like really into the flashback stuff i think like what's going on becomes like pretty explicit and like in that regard like yeah that's confusing that the movie doesn't make any sense like i think it makes pretty good sense Mm -hmm. uh for the most part and and i think some of my complaints lie in the fact that like once we do get a lot of the stuff explained like it feels it feels very mundane for what like the first half of the film is is setting us up for you know it's like it, it's interesting that we're describing this like two separate films i would almost say like there's another moment where like it becomes like an entirely different genre as well like uh, still of horror but like a subgenre i should say like I, I think there's like three different sort of like breaking points in this film where it's like okay this is a kind of a different type of movie and we'll get into that in a bit but i think yeah spoilers ahead because let's just yeah, talk about yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah all right um the big one uh for me that i i felt was like largely heavy-handed was that we see like him go over the balcony i didn't like that personally that's my one great oh, one. Get that in out the, the flashback yeah in the flashback where we find out like he lost his memory because he, he fell off a ledge and we see that the guy pushed him i didn't really like that we had to see it and it had to be like broken down for us and it was that simple everything <laughs> yeah that's, that's, my, that's my, probably my one my one concern like in the plot everything else i actually kind of liked how it was delivered hmm. yeah. yeah i mean that whole subplot of him losing his memory was almost all told in flashbacks and this movie relies a lot on exposition heavy flashbacks and i think that's one of my biggest issues with the the narrative structure is like it relies on storytelling in a very direct way Whereas the rest of the movie feels so ambient that I would love to have more of the storytelling be ambient because I think it does some of that. I think it does some of that really well. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I think the reason that the the flashback kind of hurts it for me is because it basically tells you that like this is definitively the way things happened and what i think is interesting about the film before that is that you've got 
multiple unreliable characters like telling you, oh, no, actually, this is what happened. No, this is what happened. No, this is what happened. And we don't know who to trust because our protagonist is an amnesiac. The daughter who's living in the house is like mentally ill. Uh, the the uncle tells us she's schizophrenic, but who really knows? Mm-hmm. And then the uncle himself, very obviously, is like sort of a shady character who like very clearly has ulterior motives. Like is not being honest with our protagonist at all. Those sideburns say it all. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And you've got like these three characters that we can't, as the we as the audience cannot trust any of their word. Which they're is great. They're all totally unreliable, and I love that aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And I wish the film would let that carry throughout the entire thing and have us end the film still not knowing who's telling the truth. As soon as you get into like the flashback elements of it, we start seeing like what led up to uh, Isaac losing his memory. Then it's like, okay, well, the, then it's just like the filmmaker telling you this is what happened. Mm-hmm. And I think it becomes it, definitive. Yeah, it becomes definitive and it removes all of the ambiguity that I was really, really digging. And like it definitely like there's no doubt that the film ends with some unanswered questions and you know there's there's sort of this uh presence of the supernatural that isn't really defined super clearly and i think that that's that's okay and i like that that's left sort of ambiguous but like yeah the 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 fact that we're told through flashback like this is exactly what happened like this is how the events went down and how the character lost his memory and what that all means is like that kind of deflated the tension for me a little bit i think yeah. i would i would like to add like one additional factor to that first off too i think i think that big tipping point of like literalism is him going over the balcony too like sort of i can i can definitely see that um so i, I think we're, we're of a similar mind on that but also on top of that too i do think that there is a moment where they reintroduce uncertainty almost in the form of magical realism with the mother when we start seeing like her as a ghost, like doing that's, ghost shit. That's the stuff that I like best about. The I was, movie, I was I like, think. oh shit, wait, no, maybe the, there are some, there are magical realism elements or whatever. But once she actually like kills the skeezy businessman guy, assumedly, assumedly, well, yeah, but she does, right? Like, like, how else do you interpret that? It becomes sort of literal again, and so like by the end of the film, I feel like all of the aspects of magical realism for, like, untrustworthy narrator or uh, untrustworthy um, of an uncertain world. Because, like, sort of what makes magical realism appealing is the uncertainty of the world building. The world itself is almost an unreliable narrator. And I, I got that feeling when, like, the corpse started moving. And by the end of it, I just sort of take it as, like, a literal ghost. And, like, there's really not another way to perceive it. I guess you could play, like, mental gymnastics with it, but we essentially see her, like, appear and kill him. So it's like, okay... She's a ghost. And then by the end of the film, everything is made literal. Yeah. And I agree with that. I I can see, like, that being a little bit less appealing. Um, Whereas, like, leading up to that point, the the tension of who we can trust, not understanding what's going on, is where the film really shines. Yeah. And and I think that if the reveal had been just left a little bit more to the imagination, and not a lot more, I think it only just goes over the edge for me. But if, if we'd been left guessing on a couple of things and if whether or not she's a witch or a ghost or whatever was left 
a little more uncertain. And it's close to, I, I don't know, it, yeah, it, it's honestly, right on the cusp for me. Honestly, I feel like that that aspect of it bothered me the least. Like, I feel like that's that's handled the most ambiguously. Like the, so good. Like, just how literal the supernatural element is. Like, I, I like that a lot. Like, yeah, it does become sort of more explicit, like, in the last couple of minutes of the film. But even so, like, I think there's still some, some room for ambiguity with that but it's like yeah the it's it's the it's the literalism of everything else that i have a problem with because like especially the setting of the film is so kind of unnatural Mm -hmm. like it it feels it feels very staged in the same way that like uh Sorry, Jans, to bring him back up, but, like, David Lynch does stuff where, like, it doesn't feel like it exists within our same reality, right? Like, it feels like a, it, it feels like a liminal space, you know? Uh, it, it feels unnatural. And, like, the, the setting of this film does that really well, so I think it lends itself to the the surreal and the absurd and the the metaphorical uh in that regard too and does not lend itself so much to the kind of literalism that it brings to it in like the second half mm-hmm. of the film i don't know in defense the film does end on an uncertain note yes but it's a literal one um yes which is which is fine like and i, and I think too like that largely uh, makes an argument for this whole series of points from us, like, being personal preference. I think that, like, folks could definitely get a lot out of this sure. movie for that respect and enjoy the fact that it, the ending is, is relatively literal. And, again, too, the ending is uncertain. It's just not uncertain it's, whether or not, you know, they're, yeah, you know, like... It's, uh, I don't think it's uncertain in the way that we were looking for it to be uncertain. Mm-hmm. But, but I that's mean, preference. I mean, that, the whole fucking podcast is preference. Like nothing, Absolutely. nothing we ever say is is uh, is objective. Uh, so. uh, old by M Night Shyamalan is objectively bad. Okay, sometimes we do make objectively <laughs> true statements. That's that's fair. Uh, I'll say that. I'm happy to say that live. <laughs> uh, Cleveland knows this. Ben Matisse, you guys might not know this. Uh, the way that I take in movies is unusual. I, I will usually watch a movie just kind of surface level. I don't really care to dig too much unless I'm asked to come on a podcast about it. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's I totally seen, fair. I've seen Caveat three times now. Uh, first time was just because I wanted to watch something. Second time, I think, was a movie night. And the third time, I watched it with my parents. Because that's the kind of movie you, you take to your parents. And you're like, you got to see Caveat. Uh, <laughs> but if you if you take it as if you break it down to its base components, which is something I love to do with movies, take away everything, you have a pretty classic Irish ghost story. It is a vengeful ghost story through and through. Ooh, yeah. If you strip away a lot of it, it is a vengeful ghost story. Everything in the movie moves towards the purpose of that ghost getting revenge. If you think about uh, how Isaac initially lost his memory getting pushed off the balcony it was because he was sent there to kill his sideburn friend he was sent there to kill his brother because he was going to talk about he was going to uh, give him up for killing his wife the brother killed the wife along with skeevy uncle and whenever he goes to do that he has a change of heart because he wants to show us that i think not a completely terrible human being and that he may not deserve the punishment that he's experiencing inside the house and it's there that he finds he finds the dad already down in the basement crossbow shot and dying 
uh, which is the ghost doing, obviously, because um, he's claustrophobic. You just sit there and just lock him in the basement and let, let him sort himself out, but the ghost beat him to it. And then Isaac showing up, watching the niece, and all of that all works towards the goal of getting the uncle back out there for long enough for the ghost to murder him. It is a vengeful ghost story through and through. See, I really like that breakdown. That's that's what I was looking for, you know, when I, when I said, like, I feel like there was, like, a missing piece or whatever. And it's it's not, it wasn't necessarily, like, a missing piece of the plot, because I tracked all those things. It was really perspective, right? Like, I really like that view. That's that's really solid. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think you're right. Like, yeah. I, li- I like it when when you break it down that simply i like everything you just said it feels good and right to me i maybe it's just because after like a first viewing like there's so there's so much twisty turny stuff in the movie that like it's hard to look at it so objectively but like i don't necessarily love the path it takes the film takes to get us there i think that's my problem yeah it's my problem isn't what is being told it's how it's being told Mm -hmm. it feels like it's at odds with the film's strengths which is you know atmosphere and being in the moment i absolutely adore all the sequences of isaac like crawling through spaces Uh and putting his hands through holes in the wall and like there's so much very direct storytelling like in in terms of like locational storytelling and kind of environmental storytelling that like the way this ghost story is told through you know flashback feels at odds with that and i think the story that is there is good like you said like the classic irish ghost story there is a really interesting story i just feel like uh i don't know it it feels at odds with the atmosphere of the rest of the movie Okay, I was gonna I was gonna say not to not to discount, you know, a lot of the atmospheric moments. And I, I don't know, I, I feel like I watched the film very differently, the way I look at it. But all those small moments are like there's a there's a streak of pitch black comedy in caveat. Oh uh, definitely. For sure. Yeah, that I don't know if a lot of people picked up on. But the ghost and it's kind of laid out the first interaction that Isaac has the ghost whenever she tries to yank him out of the chair. She Love that. his chain. <laughs> and she continues doing that throughout the film like the picture with the staring eyes that falls over and he puts it back up it turns around it's all things like it establishes there is something weird going on in this house but it's not super malevolent towards Isaac at least and then you get that turn near the end of the film where it's like oh that was the intended target of the ghost the rest of it was just yanking Isaac's chain and you know frankly i maybe i'm just a little spoiled but like frankly i i wish there was a little bit more of the ghost's presence in the film i feel like it does a really good job of setting it up subtly in the first act and then it feels like it kind of takes a backseat for like a good chunk of of the movie because there's we need to get the exposition of you know what happened with the father and the mother and like what role the brother played in it and what role Isaac played in it and it feels like to use an extended metaphor if you look at this movie like a ball of yarn in the first act it does a really nice job of sort of like teasing out like the thread 
and sort of like getting you engaged and intrigued and then in like the second act of the film it's all of a sudden like oh shit there's way more yarn here than we realized I gotta untangle all of this real quick and then it sort of brings it back around at the end of the movie with the payoff and like it's that it's that middle part with like the untangling of of the yarn where I feel like I was missing the presence of the ghost well, like maybe it would have been too much if there had been more of it. Like I, so much of it, I do really like how subtle it is. But at the same time, it's like I liked that stuff so much. I was wanting a little bit more of it. I wanted that to be more of a through line. Yeah, and on the flip side of the the second act sequence, it feels like it kind of lets go of the ghost story stuff for in favor of kind of cat and mouse stuff. Yeah, with Isaac and. You know, the the daughter. Which I did like a lot of that stuff, to be fair. Like, with him managing to get the harness off, and then he puts it on her, and then she gets the crossbow, and, like, all of that stuff, and he's, like, having to hide in her room now because she can't get to him, but she has the crossbow, so he can't go outside. Like, all of that stuff, I think, is fun. I, I enjoy it. I I think there's a lot of that, uh, as Jan said, the, the pitch-black comedy in, in that stuff. And it's enjoyable, but like, yeah, it, it it feels like it gets a little bit muddy in that section of the movie, and it doesn't. I, I feel like it kind of loses loses the the ghost story plot a little bit. And thankfully, it's brought it is brought back around by the end. And like some of my absolute favorite shit mm-hmm. is in like the last fifteen twenty minutes of the movie. I, yeah, I tend to wonder like how scary that that moment with the hat being over her head would have oh, been man. like if there if there'd been more direct ghost beforehand um i, I think that that was just so unexpected i don't think i don't think it has to be i don't think it has to be direct like i think it can it can stay the same level of subtle like indirect as, like, like the painting yeah exactly like the painting that. and like i love i love the scene where he's like that jan's mentioned where she like where the ghost like pulls on the chain where he's like sitting at the door and like looking out at the dog that is also on a leash and like we see something like lift the chain up off the ground and like tug it and like almost pulls him off yeah. balance it's so creepy like in hindsight knowing it's the ghost and yeah, it wasn't like the girl because you, th- you usually assume it's the girl of course the daughter yeah and it's like that stuff and like the painting like turning itself around and stuff like that I like all of that and I think you can I think you can still do more of that without having to get like too over the top with it. Even if just in like some of the cat and mouse stuff between like Isaac and Olga, like we see like the key move around a lot, you know, the key to the harness. We're always kind of wondering like, where's the key at? And we learn there's a couple of keys and stuff. Like even if at some point, like the key ends ended up in a place where it wasn't before sort of inexplicably some Something like that, sort of just like stuff to remind us that like uh, there's something else going on here, like outside of like the literal events that we're seeing, there is something inexplicable that is that is like looming over this whole this whole drama, and I just I just feel like that gets kind of that gets kind of lost to such the extent that like 
at, at the end, like when he's crawling through the walls again and like we see the ghost sort of like peeking up over the ledge at him, I had like almost forgotten that there's a ghost in the movie, you know? <laughs> and, like, and like that is kind of like, fair. in fairness, like that is kind of a horrifying way to be reminded of it. Because <laughs> yeah. I was just like, ooh, goblin, <laughs> you know? Uh, and, uh, but at the same time, it's like, oh yeah, there's a, this is also a ghost story. Like I forgot about that, you know? I'll uh, if I if I could just um, I'll, I'll join in playing script doctor for a no. second. Um, <laughs> too bad, I'm bitch. Doing it. I want to compare to a film we've talked about previously on the podcast. I saw it again recently, and that's uh, Nighthouse. And uh, you can you know see our episode Night on Nighthouse. It's um, a little old house mm-hmm. where you can go at night. <laughs> I think it's you opened that one too. It's very good. It was it was uh, different. <laughs> I don't I don't remember what it was. <laughs> um, but anyway, thank you for the lead in. Um, Nighthouse uh, has one secret. I'm I'm, st- I'm not going to give it away just in case we have some listeners who haven't seen it because it's such a perfect movie. Nighthouse um, rules. Where uh, there's some exposition delivered that the character uh, was involved in a car accident and they were dead for a number of minutes. And we are never shown the car accident in a flashback. Mm. She mentions it and it comes up once or twice in dialogue and it's reaffirmed. And because we never see it, that moment is allowed to exist only in our imagination. And because of like the directions, like the, the narrative takes, pl- like uh, the narrative goes it works so well. And if they'd shown us that literally, like her having the car accident, like, and like her consciousness when she was like dead for four minutes or whatever, in like a stranger things esque all black room, it would have sucked. Like, I am so grateful they didn't do it. Meanwhile, in the empty man, they, they actually also do that. Literally. They show like the car accident. Um, cause the movie also has an expositionary car accident. Um, it involves tulpas, uh, again, see our, our, our night house episode and empty man episode on why I, yeah. My, my my problems with that film, but uh, the point is, is like Nighthouse does the takes the right move and knows when to show and when to tell because it keeps things sort of like open to the imagination and ambiguous. And I think that this him going over the balcony is one of those moments. Here's what I want to pitch: right, the dog is important to the main character. Our protagonist obviously relates with this dog as the audience does. We we see the majority of the film through the eyes of the, of this character. Yeah, but. He's he's still largely unreliable through a good portion of the film. The daughter tells tells him that he was the one responsible for her father's death or whatnot. We don't know if that's true. Exactly. Like in the scene. And it, Which is awesome. Great. Like, Which is yeah. great. And I yeah. love that. As soon as like we get that flashback where like he's been thrown over the balcony and it's like, okay, then the guy who was obviously nefarious is not only definitively obviously nefarious, but is also like the sole perpetrator largely like of those events it takes away a little bit of that tension for me i agree uh, and what i think could have sold it is is really like not even changing what events occurred or whether they occurred literally or not but just not showing us that directly and maybe just having a moment where he can't talk to the girl he's bored he needs to talk to somebody he has a one-way conversation with the dog and we see him maybe hit some of those same revelations the same way detective would you know like in their journal and we get a little bit more establishment between not the audience and the dog, but him and the dog. And we also get his revelations with that, that sequence of the car crash indirectly. And also they're his, because I also felt like some disconnect between like whether or not he remembered or we were just being shown those things. See, I think it was, we were just being shown these things. And that's one of the problems of having him exposition dump it. I don't, 
know if he remembered it oh see i disagree i thought it was i thought it was pretty obvious that like we were getting like his recollections yes like as he was spending more time in the house like he was remembering how the series of events went down because like he is our lens for the entire film like the the whole film changes like the whole film is from his perspective he he changes like his decision making like after that scene too yeah i think i think it's i think i think that's i think that's obvious Obvious. I I agree that it would have been better. I don't know about obvious though, but I, I do I do think it's implied. Yeah, yeah. maybe maybe not obvious, but that, uh, yeah. that's that's definitely the way that I interpreted it. And I but I agree in that like I don't think that all of that stuff needs to be shown Literally. to us. Yeah, and like I think but the information is still important. Yeah, I have a counterpoint. And um, oh please, once again, you know I argue with Cleveland at least at least twice a week. Hell yeah, together we're in movie nights together. And I'm going to ask you guys to, to join me on an experiment that I do with Cleveland all the time, something I ask him <laughs> to do, because I think that that exposition was perfectly fine, and there's a reason. So if we all take a step back and mm-hmm. we, we stand up from the giant chairs made of our giant brains. They are giant chairs. We do have big brains around yeah. here. It's true. Giant brain geniuses. Mm-hmm. But you have to look at it from the perspective of someone who does not host or guest on movie podcasts. Your <laughs> average audience member wants that exposition because you'd have people going – I don't like that's confusing. Uh, that bit of exposition works fine for the movie because most people that are browsing shutter, and I'm not saying they're dumb or anything. I'm just saying they don't watch movies like movie critics watch movies. Sure. And I, I think Cleveland, you and I have had this big O argument about, about Zack Snyder in reference to that. Some people just watch movies to watch movies. And that little bit of exposition helps them get over the hump of the story mm-hmm. difficulties. Well, I think I mean, well, I, to, to be fair, though, like I, I do think that there are a lot of other like good popcorn movie directors that do a better job of that than Zack Snyder, like like Taika or, or others. That... Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll push back on that a little bit, too, just in the regard that, like, I think that's totally fine. Like and, and we actually just talked about this on our on our episode last week about, like, the ability for directors to, like, make a film that is accessible to like normal movie going audiences, but also have like more for people who want to read into it. Be academic and, like, about it, yeah. To be academic about it. It's like, yeah, that's fine. But also like I don't think every single movie no. has to be has to be dumbed down for your average movie going audience. I think it totally depends on the film that the director wants to make. And I think that there's a certain point where depending on what kind of movie you want to make, you have to put a sort of implicit trust in your audience to be able to like smell what you're stepping in you know and i and i also like i (laughs) i think i think too that like the fact that we have like a, a film critique podcast is like incidental right like i i think that like when Ben and I started this show, we already watched movie. Like we haven't changed the way that we watch movies just for this show. No, it's just like this is how we've always watched movies, and we've had discussions about them. And it's like, hey, why don't we record our conversations and like get to the bottom of it? Yeah, it's so a like for sharing. Our I opinions. mean, it's you know, it's it depends on the film and the filmmaker. But I don't think you. I don't think every movie has to have exposition so the audience will get it yeah and i think again like this movie tells so much of its story environmentally that i would love to see more of that done environmentally like for example think of this movie if it was done as a video game we talked about it earlier this 
It's, it's a, a cute video film. game premise. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. imagine, you know, him going through the events of this film and, you know, having that cat and mouse chase and all of that stuff. Think of what it would be like if it kept cutting back in the video game to long flashback cutscenes in between these sequences. Kojima style. You know, <laughs> would, would you prefer that or would you prefer, you know, learning about the world from the world itself? From the environmental you know, and Part of that is personal world. preference, mm-hmm. sure. But I think I think it fits the rest of the movie much better. And, and that's largely, too, why, like, my script doctory bit was a matter of not what, but how. And why I don't have too many problems with, like, the other sequences in the film, it really is specifically that one. And, like, if it's just told from that protagonist's perspective. So he basically, we hear all the same information, right? Like, about, like, him going over the ledge or whatever else like that. But we don't see it. And, and like, so it's it's still, like, blatantly given to us in the form of, like, say, him talking to a dog or something, you know? Like, yeah, I, I still disagree on that. I don't know. Yeah, but, like, like that's, I, I don't know, I, I feel like it's just the fact that we, like, there, there are other ways to show stuff to your average viewer that isn't literal, you know? I think like, I, I, I have to give some leeway uh, to Damian McCarthy. It is his first feature. Correct. Yeah. Jesus and, Christ, and that is, is it, too. And that, like, that, is, that, is worth, yeah. that is worth mentioning, and I, I think that, you know, like, overall, this film has enough good attributes that, like, I'm very interested mm-hmm. to see where Damian McCarthy goes. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, there's nothing exists in a vacuum. Yeah, this is his first film, and for a first attempt, it's pretty damn good. Fucking it's better. Is as as somebody who went to film school, it's better than anything I ever made. So, like, I'm I'm absolutely willing to be self aware enough to say that. But I think it's because it has so much potential, and that it is a pretty strong entry for a directorial debut. That I think it's worthy. It earns higher criticism because yeah. it does a lot right. Yeah. Like if it was if it was a, a dumber film, then I don't think that we would be as as critical of like the the nitty gritty aspects of and, it. And when it comes to the how critical we're being about it, I, I think like we're all we're all on the same page that like it's, it's I like this movie. Yeah, like we're talking like about movie. it a lot, and like we're really digging into it. But I think like it's it's more just because like it's a really interesting thing to, to, to dig into and yeah. like figure out those different perspectives. But frankly too, like these, these small factors are things that are like making me wonder like, okay, what is, or isn't going to make me give this film a five out of five, you know, like that's, that's the perspective I'm coming to on this one. Like it, it is, uh, it's one where I was like, I feel really good about this movie and I just want to break down like those, those little aspects yeah, you know, my- that I, w- I would want to see differently personally and all the rest. My perspective was I, I took issue with calling the exposition dumbing down. I think it's a very sharp film. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think it's really dumbing it down. It could have been done differently, but I, I take no umbrage with how it was done, is what I'm trying to get across. Like, okay. I think that the movie can stand perfectly fine with that odd bit of exposition. I don't think it waters down the movie any. And we talked about this kind of near the beginning, that it kind of becomes a different movie in the second half. And that fits in perfectly well with where the movie has gotten to by that point. Mm. I need to watch this one again. I think, I think I'd be really curious to see like how I feel about a lot of those sequences, like knowing yeah. that it's the ghost. I, I have the benefit of, of three watches. Under it's true. Belt. It's uh, true. The only movie yeah. I've watched that many times recently was the hunt. 
but that's just because that's a fun movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but after three watches, I, I've liked it more and more each time I've watched it because you start to notice little subtle things. That's why I like the subtle horror about that movie. About caveat, not the hunt. The hunt's not scary at all. Uh, <laughs> but it's fun. I mean, yeah, I think it's a very sharp film for a directorial debut, for sure. God, yes. I, I think I think you're right, you know, and and I think that maybe I I would enjoy this film more on on rewatch. It's definitely possible, and I'm perfectly willing to to retract the specific term "dumbing down." I. I think I do still stand by the sentiment, though, that I think that the movie, uh, to sort of build on Ben's point, that the movie does enough with atmospheric storytelling that I think I could have gotten the same message, the same information, the same context from the film without being explicitly told it. And in that, and that's all I mean in the in in the sense of like dumbing down is that like. I wouldn't consider myself your average movie goer, but like, I I don't think it's it's too much to ask to be able to expect people who watch this movie to to be able to pick up on stuff you know from from atmospheric context rather than exposition. And I I think too that like you mentioned Jans, I don't think you're you're wrong necessarily that like having having things be a little bit more explicit through exposition like allows people who are just watching it at face value to understand it maybe more than if it was kept ambiguous. And I think I think in principle you're you're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't know like how much your average like popcorn movie going audience would get out of this movie in general. It feels a little bit too slow and sort of meandering and there's not really anything. And Irish, frankly. <laughs> and, like, and, like, and, and, I worked in a movie and theater. Irish. Yeah, and yeah. like we showed a lot of art films and you'd see like the old people walking out and just the film being European was often enough for like your average movie going well, on. Well, and just, right? and just in terms like, of... Like, ah, I needed subtitles. I didn't understand what was going on. You know, like I get that a lot. And, and like, in terms of, in terms of action, there is none really. Uh, I mean, little, a little bit maybe in, and even in terms of like your, your capital S spooks, you know, like it's much more subtle than that. And I think that if that's, and, and, and none of, I, I should clarify, none of that is criticism. Like, I think that's fine. I don't, I I don't mind a slow film, and I liked overall the pacing of this film, and I don't need action, and I don't need capital S spooks, you know? Like, I, I think that all of that stuff is fine, but I think when you're catering to, like, your average horror fans who go to the movie theater to see horror movies, you're much more looking at, you know, people who are wanting to see something like The Conjuring and I think that for Conjuring fans, this movie's not going to do a whole lot, so at that point, why uh, and I won't use the term dumbing down, but like, why feel the need to like, so literally explain everything? That's all I'm saying. Caveat's just an odd beast. You know, True. Because I, you know, it I know is a professional horror critic who I still will not name, who didn't understand the movie at all, and then the ultimate list, litmus test was taking it to my parents, who are uh, sixty-eight and fifty-two respectively, 
And I, I go, you got to watch this weird movie that I watched on Shudder. And they went, watch Shudder. And I said, shut up and just watch it. <laughs> <laughs> but we watched it. And uh, my dad, you know, 68-year-old cowboy man, like, <laughs> rode rodeo and worked oil rigs, was like, it's yeah. really interesting. And uh, my mom was like, I can't understand Irish. And that that was their, those were their reviews at the end. My dad really liked it. Uh, and he hates horror movies. It, it's just such an odd, odd duck of a movie. It is. Well, you're no. you're not wrong. And also, like, we shouldn't overgeneralize like the quote unquote average movie going audience. Yeah. Like, we we do use that. We we do say that a lot. In the average movie goer is not a monolith. You know. Yeah, like yeah. every everybody's different, and you know, like sometimes a, a cowboy likes a weird, slow, strange Irish horror film, you yeah. know, and <laughs> so you know, I, I, I mean, I think that's totally fine. Like every single person engages with films differently, and I don't think that, like, it, as as far as exposition and exposition dumps go, I don't think this film handles it poorly. But that's not exactly what I was wanting from this movie. I think that's more what my critique comes down to, is that I was I was wanting the movie to have a little bit more faith in the audience, to, like, glean the story from the atmosphere. And, and it, decided, it decided to do things a little bit more literally. And the way that it handled that is fine. It's just not what I really wanted from the movie. Yeah, and... That's, you know, just because I feel like in a lot of ways there's a lot of strengths to this movie. One strength I found was the the use of the daughter and her alleged schizophrenia. Yeah. And is uh, she actually mentally ill or not? The uncle tells us she is, but she's also being fucked with by, a, by a literal ghost pretty often, yeah. you know, and the uncle's definitely I thought she was a really tense force in the movie because her role narratively kind of shifts throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. She's kind of a confidant at times. She's a villainous force at times. Yeah, she becomes a threat when she gets the fucking crossbow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's true. And and too, like, I mean, let's be real. If I was, like, in that situation or whatever, and I knew that, like, my dead ghost mother was, like, showing up every now and again... Yeah, you know what? I'd probably also just like sit in a room and like cover my eyes for the majority of that time. Well, yeah, that's the thing. Like, is like yeah, the, you know, like it's, we, it's like a reasonable response. We don't see that her mother's dead body is what she finds at the beginning, but like by later in the film, like by the time Isaac discovers it, we do know. Like that's one of the things. Is like she's walking around the house with this like weird little wind up rabbit toy that like <laughs> so that like drums. Uh, it beats like a drum at certain times like assumedly she's using as like sort of a ghost detector and we see her like cutting a hole in a wall in the basement to look through and we don't see what she finds but later when Isaac looks through the same hole with the flashlight boom that's where that's where the mother's corpse is Mm -hmm. and so like at that point we know like yes by the by the the beginning of the events of this film we know that Olga has has been staying in this house by herself with the ghost of her mother. And, like, she knows that that's what it is, too. So, like, that does provide a lot of, like, weight to the rest of it. But, uh, Mm -hmm. Jans, you were going to say something. Sorry. 
I was. I was going to make a stupid joke. Um, Hell yeah. No, I'll, I'll actually say my actual opinion before I make a stupid joke. Um, regarding our, our average moviegoer versus film critic versus old cowboy argument from earlier. Um, at the end of the day, I think that Damian McCarthy, the director, would be pleased to know that his film has such weird appeal. Yeah. I like, think so, too. Yeah. yeah. It, it is hard yeah. to, like, cast a net that wide, right? Like, I, I really like that point. Whether or not, like, you're getting, like, deep love from as many people and you he might be I, I i can't speak for that i don't have those those numbers but like being able to like get joy for a film being weird from like average audiences to not you know like to more academic viewers or whatever like it it is impressive um and and i, I did i did have something that's sort of in the back of my mind a little bit uh when it comes to like comparing this film or like holding it to a certain standard um i do i do still like try to hold like whether a film is a first make or not uh to the same standard i normally would whether it's like the eighth film a director has made because i don't know look at it follows look at the witch look at um get out look at you know etc like all of these incredible like freshman films you know that, that have been made by directors i try to like hold my personal standards to like uh, hold them externally to some degree you know it, it's kind of like well you know like the witch is a five out of five i for agree me. with like, you I, yeah. i'm gonna have to hold it to that same kind of I, standard I, I watched a film a couple of days ago that i would love to cover on the podcast at some point i don't know when but uh it's called they look like people uh jans i don't know if you've seen that yes i love it it's great yeah i i watched it for the first time the other night i thought it was fantastic and that is a student film it is literally a student film. Oh, the that's, Babadook is also, I'm pretty sure, a freshman film. Uh, I mean, it was it was Jennifer Kent's first film. Yeah. Uh, like the the short the that, short before the but. short that it's based on was a student film. But yeah, I mean, she she got yeah so it, yeah same same. So same yeah, applies. I mean, I mean, the same thing applies. But like even outside of like first big feature directorial debuts, like you look at something like They Look Like People, which is literally a student film. Like I watched the credits at the end and like it it has a slide where it said like it was made at nyu like as part of the nyu film program like it's it's literally a student film and it's a fucking fantastic film so like i do think that like there are many great examples of like absolutely incredible first films from directors and even student films so like i i do still judge all films to the same standard in that regard and to be frank i did i did not enjoy caveat as much as i like they look like people uh very different films and i won't compare them in any regard other than that like they are the first films of the of the filmmaker but yeah but i think sometimes it being a first film explains like a lack of confidence in some ways it can, yeah. Um, and I feel like the, the the problem we're talking about is, in some ways, a lack of confidence, you know? In that, like, a mm -hmm. lack of confidence of being weird and just saying, deal with it, <laughs> you yeah. know? And some sometimes people prefer explaining with the weird, but... And know. like, and well, see, that's why I tend to wonder if it's like a lack of confidence or not, because like, um, it, it it also like it's saying I'm being weird, but I'm gonna explain some of it. Does allow you to cast like a broader net, which is you know like sort of the 
Well, it also I I do I do think that it takes confidence to like put a certain degree of implicit trust in your audience to understand what you're trying to do. And like, I'm happy to have like a self-reflexive moment where like if I compare something like this to like my own thesis film from college, like when I go back and watch that film, like every time I watch it, I think like, man, this is way too dialogue and exposition heavy. I didn't trust my audience to understand what I was going for. And as a person in general, and I think people who listen to this podcast probably can understand this. I'm a long winded person. It takes me a long time to say a little, uh, I'm doing it right now. And, uh, so like, I, like, I get it. Like I get the impulse to, lay everything out for your audience to make sure they get it because if they don't get it then they're confused and when they're confused most people don't like being confused so if something confuses them they don't like it trust me i get the impulse i do i think that casting a wide net is a good thing and if David Lynch had tried that, I think his movies would be more enjoyable. Now, imagine... Hard, hard, hard disagree. Spicy. Hard disagree. Let's remember, like, like, put, a, put a small tag on the end of that for you. There we go. Yeah, yeah well, I mean, no, Prune Peaks was one of the sure. most popular shows of the 90s. Okay, Mulholland Drive, uh, they leave the diner, right? They go around the corner... And a filthy homeless man sits them down and explains his entire backstory. I think that has more broad appeal. <laughs> I don't even know where to begin with that, my dude. I don't even. I don't even. I don't even know where to begin rebutting that. <laughs> In blue velvet, right? Sucking down ether, right? And uh, then he starts explaining why he likes ether so much and why he became the way he is. Like maybe that's no 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 defeats okay okay hold on hold on Jans yeah yeah okay we're we're I'm gonna hit that one real quick because I do have a response for that one like no the whole point of Blue Velvet is like the darkness pervasive in like in America like in underneath the soil it's literally in the first shot with like the evil like insects and stuff and if you explain why Bob is evil or Bill what what is what's character Frank Frank why Frank is evil like directly then like it's not that anymore which like defeats the whole point of the narrative. So no, absolutely you know, disagree on that. David Lynch movies are really just missing some but, Joss but, Whedon but again, dialogue. But, but again, too, like like Ben, you brought up a really good point about like Twin Peaks, like its review levels, and like it being like one of it the was super popular, popular when it was yeah. on TV. But let, let Jan's Jan's had a re- broad appeal. Jan's had a rebuttal. Let him speak. Yeah, yeah. Yes, my rebuttal is this: Frank's huffing down ether, right? And he's like, the evils underneath the soil of America is explained in the first. <laughs> <laughs> That's my director. Oh, awesome. I love it. I love it. I, I completely disagree, but I love it. Jan's is trolling us. Yeah. Um, there's no way there's no way this is real. No, Jan's no, 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 is, no. Jan's I, is trolling we've us. We've had a, there's a reason why we've had a ton of these conversations before, but I, what I will say is it, it's something I appreciate about Jan. like we we've we keep having these conversations and I and I, I think we both get a lot of joy out of them. There are a really nice Venn diagram of movies where like we we do come together 
on them. Uh, one of them being like House of Wax, which we're definitely going to have you back on for at some point because I just found out recently that Tease and Ben have not seen it. What the remake? Um, yes, yeah, the the two thousands movie. Like we're yeah, gonna, we got to do that at some yeah. point because I I went into that with the lowest expectations as I I think I should like and was really pleasantly surprised. So I think uh, we've got. We we do we do come together on a lot of those things, and I love I love ham fisted movies. And, Listen, and I love I shit. love dumb schlock. I love dumb schlock too. But like you know, a film sets an expectation for itself out of the gate, and like I have no problem with dumb schlock when a film lets me know that it's going to be dumb schlock. Like, when a film spends half of its runtime doing really sort of, like, weird, spooky, atmospheric storytelling and making me ask all of these questions, and then in the second half sits me down and says, you have questions, I have answers. Like, that leaves me a little bit disappointed. It's just, it's expectation versus reality, you know? Well, and, look at Malignant, right? Like, it has a really weird offhand turn, but it still yeah, starts love, with, like... I but, love Malignant. Right, Malignant but, but here's like, like, it starts with, like, a, a big Arkham Asylum shot, right? Exactly. Like, it lets Malignant, you know Malignant going, sets like, its, its tone. Weird, the, yeah. the intro of Malignant lets you know immediately this is dumb schlock. If you go into it expecting anything other than dumb schlock, you're going to have a bad time. And the people who didn't like Malignant, I think, did not accept it for dumb schlock within the first five minutes. It's all about playing to your strengths. Totally. Yeah, it should be good. Like, this film sets itself up so well for atmosphere. You know, with the, with the bunny clacking away on its little drum while that. she carries it around the house with a look of horror on her face. I actually had a question for you guys about the bunny. So it seems like the bunny detects the ghosts in the house. Yeah. The the, the forces in the house. But could it also be, in its own way, conjuring the ghosts in the house or repelling the ghosts from the house? What do you think, Jans? Repelling, I think, no. Uh, sorry. <laughs> Jans, go ahead. I was going to say, we need a prequel series that explains the origins of... <laughs> <laughs> Fuck off! <laughs> keep going, keep going. The, the previous, when everybody, whenever everybody was exploding about uh, David Lynch and his bad movies, uh, I have a fantastic um, ability where I cast a wide net, uh, and the wide net is just to make film nerds angry. <laughs> and I'm very good at casting this net because, uh, like Cleveland, whenever he and I argue about David Lynch, I can always just like go to my old fallback, which is I've seen every David Lynch movie and he has not. So, <laughs> as, a, as a card, to throw damn, that there. is a pretty good I one. Love movies, uh, David Lynch. I have, and I've explained this to Cleveland, so we can put this to bed. So Tease and Ben don't go to bed angry tonight. Um, I don't dislike David Lynch. My main issue is the weird, vaunted status that he has got off of the back of some pretty subpar films. Well, yeah, like there's there's another point. To You're bring saying up. that to make me not yeah, get yeah. angry? Yeah, no, no, I need to. Yeah, yeah. Hold, hold on, hold on. So let me let me. Uh, there's there's another point that needs bringing up too, and that's the one that like Ted brings up a lot in our conversations, also, which is that like David Lynch's work also acts really well as like surrealism for like college students surrealism for like people just getting into surrealism because 
Um, and and my, my response to that is, like, it's largely because, like, David Lynch's work is not exclusively surreal. Like, he gives you enough te- textural grip to, to work off of. Like, Eraserhead is about the anxiety of parenthood, period. There is a core theme and there are core elements. It is not outright abstraction. It is not so surreal that you can't track or understand much of anything. It's led to you, like, uh, and, and there are interpretations. There, there are other ways you can take it, but for the most part, like, there's always grip. There's something you can grab onto. So David Lynch is not, like, the penultimate surrealist. Like, David Lynch, I, I think a lot of his stuff works because it has literal time. He's not well. He's not Alejandro Jodorowsky, At all. for sure. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, maybe with the exclusion of Inland Empire. Inland Empire is a, is a bit of a different story, and I think that uh, there's something to be said for the directions that David Lynch takes over the course of his very long career, and I'm not going to get into that, nor am I going to argue with the uh, with the very obvious uh, subpar films bait. I know that Jans, <laughs> I know that Jans is a fisherman. I've lurked in the Dread XP Discord enough to know that Jans is a fisherman, and he knows how to lay his bait to catch fish, and I'm not going to be the fish today, Jans. Not today. I'm not going to be the fish. Front yard and physically fight college students who want to talk to me about David Lynch. Um, and I'm going to, whenever someone's like, have you seen David Lynch? You know, great surrealist films. I'm like, have you ever watched, like, I don't know, Michael Gondry? He makes decent surrealist films. <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, I, have you seen Doctor Strange? It's a really good surrealist film, guys. Have y'all have y'all seen that? Have y'all seen Doctor Strange? It gets really surreal. Proclamation here. Michael Gondry made the fine sleep, which is an excellent surrealist film. Yeah, I, uh, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. Eternal yeah. Sunshine too. Oh, is that right? Which is a fine movie. Um, in the interest of bringing us back to caveat and maybe bringing us all together, I think a good way to wrap up is to talk about the last few minutes of this movie, and I think what we can probably all agree is some very spooky shit. Yeah, let's talk about all the uh, good moments. There's I, a lot of them. Yeah. Can I summarize real quick just that ending? My favorite part of the ending yeah, sequence. Sure. Okay, so Isaac, who has previously in the film been uh, cat and mouth with Olga, she has gotten the crossbow. He gave her, or while she was in one of her catatonic states, and we mentioned earlier how the, you know, we're not sure if she actually has uh, schizophrenic catatonia, as she's explained to have by the uncle. But also, the movie could have resolved this by having Isaac just just huck a tennis ball at her face. If she moves, it's it's not real. Damn anyway, true. <laughs> and he puts the harness on her, so she's trapped with the chain in the basement. But she gets a crossbow, and he's trapped in the room. She shoots him in the leg. Um, he gets out into the insides of the house, kind of the under the skin of the house. In the crawl spaces in the walls, yeah. Yeah, under the skin of the house. I'm going to stick with my very weird description of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, in the, he's in the old bones of the house, the old strong bones of the house under the skin. And he gets to where the movie started, which is kind of poetic in a way. He ends up where the movie started. Uh, at that point, and he's in the crawl space, and you find out that Olga's mother, well, you should know by now, but she's down there, and she's dead, and he's looking through while Olga and her uncle argue downstairs, and he notices that the corpse is looking at him, so he puts a beanie over its face, and whenever he looks back, you can see that the beanie has been shifted, and a small hole in the beanie is now where her eye is, and she's looking out of it at him. Like, it's very subtle. Like, she first turns a little bit, and he's like, I'm going to put the beanie on your face. 
and then she's looking out of the one hole in the beanie. It's the best part of the ending that, sequence. That moment is so scary. Yeah. It's yeah. so fucking spooky. If there's one part of this movie that is going to stick with me long term, it's that. Like when he looks back at like the there's like the hole that just the one eye is peeking out through. It's so fucking well done. Because there's no so moment well like we always almost always have like her legs and hands like in frame. There might not have been a moment where she could have, like, taken her hands up and done that. So you just don't expect it at all. Like, I remember, too, like, we were all kind of, like, talking there. Because, like, you'd mentioned goblins and, like, oh, man, wouldn't we go down like, yeah. a goblin horror movie? And we're just kind of chatting. And then as soon as that shot happened, we all were, like, stopped like, in our tracks. Like, whoa. Like, like, completely just, like. To go off on a slight tangent, I was I was looking uh, at some stuff about this film on IMDb. And you all know how on IMDb they have, uh, after the trivia section, they have the goofs or whatever where like (laughs) you know they mess something up or there's a continuity error or something on imdb there's one single goof logged for this film (laughs) and i thought it was really funny because the goof is when the first time you see the mom's corpse when he shines the flashlight in when he shines the flashlight on her face her eyes dilate because She's a huge because it's a person because it's a person. And when you shine light in their eyes, their eyes are their pupils are going to shrink or whatever. And that was listed as a goof because it's like when uh, when somebody's dead, their eyes don't respond to light. In fact, that's how doctors check for brain death. And it's like, I don't think that's a goof. That's that's not a goof. It's because because they were using an actual person. Well, also, too, like like that. I like, like, come on. So like outside of the world. Like that's or outside of the film, that's funny, but also like within the context of the film, that's deeply unsettling. Well, that's the thing is like her. That's that's something that I was even thinking about too. That I thought was very creepy about the dead mom is that like she's obviously been dead for a while. Like her skin is like waxy and gray and whatever, but like her eyes are still very much alive. And like I mean, it is because like instead of a, a prop, they did use a, a an actress and makeup, but considering that like she's a ghost that makes it spookier like that's what's scary about it is because the corpse has very alive eyes like even though they're not like actively looking around and moving that we can see them it's like she watching she watching exactly (laughs) and that wide-eyed expression is just yeah harrowing I, I love the the hole in the beanie. I feel like holes oh, yeah. in this movie are such a an interesting motif. This like is a just, holy movie. Yeah, <laughs> they keep coming holes. back to it. Like there's a hole in the bedroom, so uh, you know he can have access to the phone. You know, there's a hole in the basement, very Amityville horror esque, where the the mother is found. I think this is just used so much to such a great extent in this film. And uh, I, I I found the, the beanie part horrifying, but I think the most horrifying shot for me was when the uncle is cutting through or no, when no, the when the other side is being cut through by 
something. He Presume. thinks it's Isaac. Well, we think it's Isaac, too, because the last time we saw Isaac was in the crawl space. And the uncle is is saying, like, because that's after Olga leaves, like, hurry up and, like, cut your way out so, you know, we can take her by surprise or whatever. And then the intercom, like, beeps, because there's an intercom in this house. I thought the intercom was used pretty effectively. Mm-hmm. And it's Isaac talking to him from, like, outside. He's, like, gone back through the wall, presumably. We don't see that. I'm, I'm guessing, like, he just went back the way he came. And he's talking to him from outside. So who's that cutting through the wall? And I, I, I know the shot you're talking about where, like, the uncle sort of, like, backs up around the corner and is, like, shining the light. And, like, we just see a little bit of, like, the ghost of the mom sort of, like, peeking out from behind the corner and to again, look at him. And again, her wide eyes. Yeah, it's very it's creepy. terrifying. Yeah, that shot is so scary. It is. But then the film ends very abruptly after that. It's like it cuts from that, and then we see, like, Isaac outside, like, letting the dog off the leash, and then, like, Olga comes out with the crossbow, and they just kind of look at each other, and the movie just sort of ends. Well, well, let's talk about that, though. Like, what happens next? Let's consider, like, each character, how they feel about each other. You know, like, what are what are the options here? You know, like, it, it's cool, because she's on the vest. He has the key, right? Does he have the key? I think so. Well, he is. He has one of the keys. Yeah, the he other, has, he has the, key. yeah, he, so has, he has a key he has to the, one of the keys. Yeah, but she has the crossbow, so he is at her mercy. But she is also at his mercy. Well, yeah, because if, really she, cool if she shoots him, he's out of reach, so she's not going to be able to get the key. Mm-hmm. And also, like at that point, it's been pretty explicitly stated that like the uncle has been playing them against each other so at that point it's like oh well the ghost got the uncle so what are we fighting about i mean that's that's the way i kind of read it it's like they kind of look at each other it's like uh what you know where do we go from here but it's like well i mean i also like that the the main character is put at her mercy because of doing like a good act he's trying to take the dog with him you know yeah. what the dog doing? What the dog doing? What the dog doing? He, you know, he he wants to he wants to bring the dog with him, but I, I really liked that because the dog is introduced like just the right level. You know, we're, we're left kind of thinking about the dog in the background. I'm I'm very very glad they didn't murder the dog uh, in, in in horror movie fashion. That was nice. I mean, they usually do. They usually yeah, do. They usually um, do. Because also, it was a very good sheep dog, and as someone who has a sheep dog, like I I was immediately instantly attached. So I appreciated that. But no, I, I like that. I like that they're at odds at the end. And I, and I think that that largely, like, from a literal perspective, works very well. Like, like it was, again, like, they're at each other's mercy. And, you know, the, the uncle is dead. So Well, yeah, that's the thing. It's like, at that point, I kind of considered their antagonism towards each other, like, finished. It's like, oh, well, here we are. Mm-hmm. Uncle's dead. So let's... Uh, Let's let's move on. Or Which is whatever. why I do think it is a good spot for the movie to end. Like like the tension is gone, the everything else is there, but they are still at each other's mercy. Yeah, I don't know what else I would necessarily want from the ending. That's not what I'm saying. It's just uh it is very abrupt. It does just kinda the movie does just kinda end. I think that's fine. Sometimes movies just kinda end. But it's just like it's it's one of those moments where like the credits roll and it's like, Oh, okay, here we are, I guess. Yeah. Also, too, like, sort of the mother's morality, too. She kind of did eat that key. Yeah, I mean, the mother seems shitty. Yeah. <laughs> and she's still out about being a ghost. 
Yeah, presumably she's... Ghosts are usually attached to a house. Whatever. We don't know the rules of ghosts in this movie. I do like that sequence where she eats the key. So I, I like that flashback. Like, I, I, liked, I liked seeing that. Yeah, that was kind of fun. Mm-hmm. I, think we, I think the movie still could have done without it, but it was fine. There were a few moments where, like, the main, like, the protagonist kind of could have taken the crossbow with him or, you know, had an opportunity to oh, get yeah. around. And he kind of left that crossbow just sitting around. Oh, yeah. Well, after he gets, after the first time Olga shoots at him and misses, she takes, like, a minute and a half to reload the crossbow as, and he, as it would as it would yeah. yeah because like you can't reload crossbows quickly and he just stands there and lets her until she shoots him in the leg like i even said well rachi is like as she's starting to reload the crossbow it's like okay now you go take the crossbow from her <laughs> you know <laughs> but uh yeah it's just fine can we talk about thumbnails real quick uh a short aside sure cleve i'm going to send you some pictures real quick because I don't have quick access to uh, Tees and Ben, but just the marketing for this movie between, like, the the, the top one, Cleveland. <laughs> what the fuck? To Tees and Ben, the top one is the actual shot from the movie. The bottom one is what a lot of YouTube channels are using. If you're going to send that to Tees and Ben, it's Holy shit, I'll just pass, just pass it around. Over. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, you guys are all in the same place. Yeah, that's right. What? <laughs> So, since this is an audio medium, what we're looking at is uh, the shot of the ghost like peeking up over the the rim of like uh, of of like one of the holes or whatever. It's a split second shot in the movie, and then so that's the actual shot. And then the thumbnail that a lot of the YouTube's YouTubers are using, you say, Jans, is I guess they're giving it out for marketing. Somebody's. Dr- paint over of it <laughs> but it looks worse like they, they, they paint over the eyes and they made the teeth like bigger and they made the teeth bigger and they paint over the eyes black it's conf- why why the it's confusing <laughs> yeah the reflection on the very photoshop but they didn't change the reflection down there so you saw the oh shit you're right yeah like the the reflection in the water is still like her with her eyes and everything but oh then, like, man the i didn't even notice like, i didn't even notice that yeah wow how about that how about that? Yeah, I'll make sure you guys. How I'll about it? Sure you guys afterwards. But whenever I don't know why that stuck out to me. That's been in my head since I saw a caveat. I was looking up something. I think I was making a, a Photoshop for something or another, and I needed a picture of the ghost from Caveat. And I was like, that's clearly not what was in the film. So I started looking around. And I was like, oh, a bunch of horror like trailer YouTubers are using this really badly photoshopped version of it to make it look scarier. Air quotes. Yeah, that must have been like studio marketing, like sending out like promotional images and them using that because that's usually what that's usually what YouTubers will use for thumbnails and stuff. It certainly seems misguided. Mm. Um, it does not seem any scarier to me. Uh, in fact, less so. I had one thing I wanted to mention, and that's like. Uh, just one more moment to like compliment the opener of this film because of like the way she's like sort of going from room to room and she's holding up the 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 bunny to see like when it's gonna tippy tap on the drums. Uh-huh. Um, I was I was thinking like okay is this supernatural or is this like a saw or cube esque scenario because you're like in cube like they do the thing where they throw their sneakers into the next room. Yeah, to see if out. there are any traps. Yeah, and I, and I thought it was kind of like that. It kind of reminded me of like you know her using it to like clear rooms or something. And like, yeah, it was, I, it was it just it, it conjures like it it has just enough information. It conjures some really cool like 
you know, imaginations. I think she was using it to find her mother's body. Yes, we, well, it, we know yeah, that in hindsight. It, it, leads, but, it leads her to the basement. Yeah, it's just a cool, like, piece of tension, like, without context to, yeah. the, to the, like, first time. I mean, it's, I, it's I certainly, that. yeah, it's certainly a very, a very uh, provocative way to begin the film, especially when you go in knowing nothing about it. It's like, the fuck is going on here? Mm-hmm. Well, um, and we also know, too, that, like, when, our, when the protagonist, like, when he comes across it, when it starts tapping faster, it's because, like, she's behind him and fucking around, yeah. which is nice and spooky, because he never sees it. One last thing I want to mention quick before we rate is there's some really confounding music cues in this movie. Oh, I'm so glad you brought Where that. they have really dramatic music and the shot is, like, a wall or, like, stairs. <laughs> I forgot about that. Well, like, like yeah. uh, the first time, like, our, our our main character is being led into the cabin, um, which, also really cool, we never really see the whole of the cabin. Like, we never see it, like, like there's no, there's no like, big exposition shots of it from the outside. Yeah. Um, uh, it's usually, like, from the outside looking in as people are coming through, um, minus the one shot of the doorway where the dog yeah, is. Yeah, there's no establishing shots of the house. Yeah, which is cool. I, I, I like that. But, uh, yeah, there's a sequence, like, this, during the sequence when they're first entering the house like yeah the music is like uh it's like it's like when you alert a bass in far cry it's like really intense there's a lot of like 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 drums and shit and it's like just just going up like an old spooky house you know like i, I was i was uh and there, there's a, a few other moments like that where i just yeah i got like the like the the drums are so intense it just it felt like it was kind of clashing with like the the more like quiet dark moments that are that are occurring on screen. yeah i didn't always feel like the music fit the movie yeah, yeah like, like there's well. a little like like more intense than you know what was being reflected there like like more ambient horror could have it, it well. felt like it was trying to do the heavy lifting to the point of being overkill when it wasn't necessary too. exactly like the set dressing exactly. was already doing overkill. such a great job yeah yeah, let's uh, let's rate this. Um, Unless oh, Jans, do you have any last uh, last notes? Anything you wanted to you know things you really love about the film? I love a lot about the film. Mm-hmm. I think that the subtle horror bits. I think that the atmosphere is kind of front loaded. Once it establishes the world it's in, it's happy with goofing around in that world without putting so much focus on it. And I kind of like that, and I kind of don't at the same time, because as it's been said by I think all of us, the the atmosphere of the film is just it's the bee's knees uh but that's mm-hmm. mostly front loaded and you start to lose that as the uh story goes on i think we could have just dealt with uh, they could have found way he could have found ways to amp up the atmosphere but overall it's solid oh yeah well why don't you why don't you slap a rating on on that four out of five four out of five nice yeah, um, I, I mean, I, I agree with a lot of that. I I obviously wanted a little bit more. Uh, I mean, I agree that there that there could have been even more of the atmosphere because I thought it was great. I think there could have been more reliance on atmospheric storytelling over exposition. But I think this movie does a lot of things right. Uh, I think it has some very, very creepy moments. And I, I think it's a strong directorial debut from Damian McCarthy. Curious to see where he goes from here. I'll definitely be keeping an eye on him. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I've, I'm feeling like a, a pretty strong three and a half out of five on this one. Um, I, I thought it was pretty good, but uh, did leave me wanting more in several regards. As an aside, the harness that Isaac is put into, uh, it 
doesn't allow him to go in the bedroom, but it also doesn't really allow him to go in the bathroom. <laughs> That's true. Which seems like a real struggle. Um, I just wanted to mention that because it's a bit of environmental storytelling that I found really awesome and hilarious mm-hmm. and fun. And There's nowhere for him to take uh, a shit. Yeah, it, it kind of adds to its own sense of dread, in a way. <laughs> um, but yeah, this movie... Uh, is a really strong first outing. Um, it seems like Damien McCarthy really has a strong sense of creating environments and even creating sequences and scenes that feel really compelling. I think this is a strong movie. I, again, have problems with some of its narrative approaches, just the way it handles that, as well as some problems with the music um, but overall, I think this is a really strong movie. I'm going to give it a three and a half out of five as well. Yeah, uh, I think for slightly different reasons. My love of the film is, I think, the, the, the joy that it brought me is about on the same level as Jan's. I, yeah, I, I adored the set dressing and the atmosphere. And again, too, like for the most part, I, I liked the majority of the exposition, like tracking through the sequences, like with the mother and her backstory and the rest. It was really just the one. Uh, for me. And again, too, like, I don't mind that that happened. I just minded, like, seeing it happen, which is a really small, insignificant thing. And beyond that, too, it's like the score, you know, um, it was a little intense at times. It was never, like, poorly done. It just didn't necessarily match. But that's, that's a small, that's a small thing, again, when the, the set is, like, so well-crafted and the atmosphere is so well set up. And again, like, for a movie to have that good of a scare in it, I'd be hard-pressed to not give it a four. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed this film, and I, I can't wait to see what they do next. I think that they've uh, they're they're off to a fantastic start, and yeah, I'm definitely excited to see where their career goes from here. One one last one last thought. Yeah. For you, gentlemen. this film is easily a five out of five if Isaac had realized he couldn't get in the bathroom and just kind of arced a piss stream into the small window. <laughs> Damn, right. true, I so agree. true. <laughs> Uh, All right, well, that will give Caveat an average of 3.8 out of 5. So, yeah, it's on Shudder. If uh, this discussion... It is a Shudder exclusive. Uh, So if this conversation was interesting and the movie sounds interesting, check it out. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a a pretty good movie. And props, too, uh, to Shudder for, like, uh, giving, like, budding directors, like, a a budget to that level and a platform to put out their movies on. Um, I hope I hope that there are more like Shutter exclusives like in the same vein. Shutter rules. Yeah, Shutter's a good streaming service. Um, next week, uh, Ben, are we doing your pick next week? So I've been talking a lot about this movie, Ricky O, the story of Ricky, one of the ultimate oh, yeah. action kung fu, uh, gross out gore horror prison break movies. What? Uh, but I think I've seen part of this. Uh, but I want to cover one that I haven't seen. Oh, so and that's yeah. another film by the same director. Uh, and that's a movie called The Seventh Curse. Um, yeah. It should be a very campy, wild affair if it's anything like Ricky O. And I'm excited to see where it takes us. Interesting. Jans, have you seen it before? I have seen both of those films. I'm a huge fan of the films of the 70s and 80s yeah the seventh curse is oh you guys are gonna have a level time it is a ride awesome yeah i absolutely adore ricky o it's 
one of my favorite movies of all time. But I felt like I wanted to mix it up a little. Go with something none of us have seen. So. Yeah, I've I've certainly never seen it. Hell yeah. Like the year, the Halloween uh, marathons that I take part in on uh, the forums that I use. Um, the Seventh Curse is always a recommendation, like every year, from many, many different people. It is insanity, pure insanity. It's more insane than Ricky O. Oh, hell yeah. Human Lanterns. If anybody's ever seen Human Lanterns, the Shaw Brother film from 86, it's right up there in uh, terms of weirdness. Sweet. Fantastic. Well, I'm excited. I don't know anything about it. But, uh, yeah, so we'll be doing The Seventh Curse next week. Sponsor time. Sponsor time. It's sponsor time. Gonna pull the sponsor off the shelf. Let's see if it's any good. All right, here we go. This episode, ladies and gentlemen, is brought to you by Big Keith and his collection of teeth. Are you looking for more teeth? Well, who isn't? Open up your wallet. They're already inside. Thank you, Big Keith. Thanks, Big Keith. All right, well, that'll bring us to the end of this week's episode. If you like the show, the best way to support us is to leave us a five-star rating and a nice review on Apple Podcasts. You can also become a patron at patreon.com slash podpeoplepod if you uh, desire to support the show uh, with a with a monthly contribution. And well, why if you, wouldn't you? If you do, uh, we certainly do appreciate it. Big thanks to our honorary pod boys, Sam Simon and Sarah Morris, Thank you. Uh, who help help keep the, the lights on over here, as they say. Uh, but uh, don't worry, none of our content's paywalled. So if you don't want to become a patron, that's fine, too. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at PodPeoplePod and at Letterboxd.com slash PodPeoplePod, where you'll find a list of all the films we've talked about on the show with our average ratings and links to those reviews. You can find me on Twitter uh, at some spooky snake I'm posting twi- tweets, bad ones, <laughs> bad tweets. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Sheets posting uh, spicy takes usually. Mm-hmm. And bad tweets, hopefully, because then it can rhyme. It's bad tweets with Mr. Sheets. Oh, you got it. Yeah. And I'm occasionally tweeting for Light Arc Studio as we put out new progress on It Stares Back. Stay tuned. We've got all sorts of cool stuff coming you away. I've been working on a dope big old boss fight level right now that we're going to be putting out to our community hopefully pretty soon. Um, uh, you can also find, of course, my work at uh, dreadxp.com along with Jans's work at dreadxp.com. Shout out to the dreadxp boys. Uh uh, you can find all sorts of cool games and articles to read, some of which have been written by Jans Holstrom himself. Um, see, read read about uh, David Lynch uh, articles or something. Um, Jans, uh, what you got, bud? My last article was actually about the uh, the cheeseburger and the Resident Evil 2 remake, and I put a recipe in there for a cheeseburger, so that was cool. Oh, yeah, uh, that was great. I love the, the Evangelion cheeseburger uh, uh, image you had for that article, too. That was really fun. Big fan of that. that really ties into me making nerds mad. Uh, <laughs> find me tweeting for DreadXP at DreadXP underscore. If you want to hear my unfiltered thoughts on the state of David Lynch, you can follow me at HorrorPlayed. <laughs> Oh, yeah. um, also, you can listen to me uh, now. If you if you just you can't get enough of the yawns in the two episodes that I've been in, you can find me weekly um, hosting the Real Professional podcast for Dread XP, where real professionals have really professional conversations with people from around the gaming industry. Yeah. It's a good time. Uh, joined by my co-hosts Ted Hinchke and Abby Smith. Hell it's, yeah. uh, 
it's a very very professional podcast for professionals only. That's why I've never been on it. Well, I was going to say, much like this <laughs> podcast, which is also a very professional podcast of professionals with professional ideas. Oh, yeah. So professional. Um, and two, yeah, just like uh, one, one more shout out to Jan's also like, um, well, you know, ev- even though we don't necessarily always agree on our takes, um, I think I think that Jan's articles have like some really cool breakdowns and, and like they're really fun to read. Um, I, yeah, I, I really love John's work and, uh, yeah, really always happy to have you on the show, bud. I write in the comedy. Um, <laughs> of course you can expect in my articles right there. What's the one you did with like, uh, where you're like drinking like G fuel uh, or, or it was just like all the energy drinks. That's my favorite one. Like uh, I, I made a, I made a Walmart grocery pickup order and I ordered four different sugar free energy drinks because I wanted it to be somewhat not deadly. Um, but I still had loads of caffeine, but I wanted to see if they would make me good at video games. It was very scientific. <laughs> uh, and I drank sugar-free monsters of different flavors and tried to play Dead by Daylight. It was shameful. Uh, you can look at the stats pages that I posted in the article. I zeroed out everything and ended up throwing up from drinking too much energy drink. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the, ar- the article ends in blue vomit, and it, it's pretty fantastic. I, uh, yeah, that, 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 that article is, like, hilarious to read. No one should drink 128 ounces of various energy drinks. That is so much. Yeah, that's Yeah, that's don't vile. worry. I won't. <laughs> yeah, that is so funny, man. I wasn't yeah. planning on it. All right. Well, Jans, thank you so much for uh, joining us again on the show. It's a delight to have you as always. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll definitely uh, have you back, hopefully sooner rather than later. And uh, we appreciate our listeners as well for listening to the show. And uh, come back next week as we talk about something else. The Seventh Curse? Is that what it is? Yes. Uh, anyway, uh, clickety-clackety. uh it's a rabbit and he he's back at Alright, bye. Have to dig some more. Ooh.